0: Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9 as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke? We're going to be looking at these uh, first nine verses of this chapter. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. "'and to heal the sick. "'He told them, "'Take nothing for the journey. "'No staff, no bag, uh, "'no bread or money, "'no extra tunic. "'Whatever house you enter, "'stay there until you leave that town. "'And if people do not welcome you, "'shake the dust off your feet "'when you leave the town "'as a testimony against them. "'So they set out "'and went from village to village "'preaching the gospel.' healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning and we have the opportunity to look into your word, I pray that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would give us hope and strength and perseverance as we continue to follow you. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, every church needs to be making disciples and developing leaders or it will die. That's just the fact. The church is one generation away from uh, losing its whole mission. Unless churches continue to raise up new leaders and develop disciples, it will die. This week, we had our Vacation Bible School, and we were talking about that and talking about the number of kids who came to know Christ, which was outstanding. But one of the other things I really appreciate about VBS is that it is a great training is discipling opportunity. I mean, we have over 100 volunteers who come and you have adults working with some of our middle school students and high school students. It's so fun to see those kids who can't wait till they get through VBS almost, you know, so that they can come back and help. I mean, it's just such an energy here. And so you have the opportunity for our leaders to work with others. Plus, there is this passing of the baton that is going on. Many of us who have been here longer in our church, and our kids are now growing, are handing some of these leadership roles to other young parents, young moms, and dads who are taking that responsibility, and there is this baton that is being passed, and that needs to happen, not just in children's ministry, but really in all areas of ministry as we think about our church and continuing the mission that God has called us to. Well, we see an example of that kind of discipleship training in Jesus' ministry. The training of the twelve was a necessary part of what he was doing. And we're coming to a point now where Jesus is going to spend an increasing amount of time with them. They have seen Jesus doing ministry. Now the time has come where he's going to send them out on this first mission trip themselves. And for the next two years, the last two years of Jesus' ministry, he is going to spend time with them, preparing them to carry on the work after he is gone. So when we look at this passage, some of the instructions that Jesus gives were just for that specific mission. But there are also universal principles that we see here that really apply to all ministry. And it's those universal principles that I want to draw out and share with us this morning. Number one, gospel ministry requires gospel power. When Jesus sent out the 12, he gave them power and authority to do what he had been doing. And so here they were, if they're going to carry on the work, okay, guys, you need to have the power and authority to do this. The word for power here is the word dunamis. It is that word that we we get our word dynamite from that. This is this power and energy that God gives by His Holy Spirit. And the word authority, exousia in Greek, means the right to use that power. God doesn't give His authority and His power to just anyone. He gives that to believers, He gives that to those of us that he places in responsibility, but he gives it also to all believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in this world. And yet we are to grow. It's not just a matter of having power and authority, but we are also to grow in our maturity, our wisdom, our relationship with Christ. And that's what disciple making is all about. Discipleship is a process. It's more than just communicating information or taking a class. It is life on life. It is done in the context of relationships. It also involves showing people how to do ministry. And there are steps involved in that process. Bob Logan is a man who's written a lot about coaching in the church and mentoring or discipling others. And in his book, The Leadership Baton, he shares these five steps that are involved in disciple making. And you can put these up and we'll go through them kind of quickly. I mean, the first step is where the person doing the discipling would say, okay, I will do this and I want you to watch me. And then the next step, he'll say, okay, I'm going to do this and I want you to help me. And then in the next step, he says, okay, I want you to do this now, and I'll be here to help you if you need it. And then fourth, I want you to do it, and I'm going to watch. And then fifth, I want you to do it, and someone else watches. That's multiplication. That's the process of disciples making disciples. And I look at that list, and I think about that, and I go, you know, that's how I learned to pray. I learned to pray by praying with other more mature Christians. And I learned from their example how to pray, what to pray for. And to do that in a corporate way and spend time together was really significant in my life. I learned how to share my faith like this. One man who discipled me said, okay, and he was training me how to use the four spiritual laws. He said, okay, I want you to come with me. You just just need to watch today, and I'll take the lead on this. And so I did. And then the next time he goes, okay, I'm going to do this again, and this time I want you to jump in. Maybe there's a question you can respond to, and you do that. Then the next time, okay, now I want you to do it. I want you to take the lead and share the gospel, and I'll be here to help if you get stuck, but I want you to do this. And then finally coming to the point of you do it, and I will watch. And now I want you to take this, and I want you to disciple those students you are working with. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. It is such a simple thing, but it is so necessary for the church That in areas of prayer, studying the Scripture, raising up laborers for the harvest, or sharing our faith, or teaching in a Sunday school class, or whatever area it is, we need people who will do that and pass on this baton. But there's one more thing that is important. And it is this, that you cannot do ministry and expect it to bear fruit without gospel power. I mean, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he wasn't saying that, you know, well, you can't you know drive a car or you can't teach a class or you can't play in a sport or do something. You can do all those things. But unless God is at work, you will do nothing of spiritual significance that's what he is emphasizing. We need his power. And so he would say to the disciples in Luke 24, uh, he would say to them, you are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He was going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's telling them, I want you to wait. Don't begin this work until you've been clothed with power from on high. I want to share with you uh, an illustration this morning. Back in 2011, there was one of the most popular Super Bowl commercials of all time. It's this little boy dressed as Darth Vader trying to use the power of the force. Now just take a look and then I'll talk about it afterwards. All right, it's a classic, but here's the point. Nothing happens without the father's intervention, right? (laughs) That little boy, you know, he's trying to get the dog, you know, to do something, or the washing machine, or he's trying to get, you know, everything to use his power. Nothing happens apart from the father's intervention. And in our life, too, if we're not walking with God, if we don't have that relationship with him and allow him to work through us, nothing's going to happen. And again, that's why Jesus said to the disciples in Acts 1.8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As followers of Jesus, we cannot do anything of spiritual value apart from His power working through us. Well, secondly, gospel ministry requires gospel preaching. We never get away from sharing the good news of salvation, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word that applies to all of life. Jesus would send them out to preach the kingdom of God, In verse 6, it says that they went from village to village preaching the gospel. It's the same thing. To preach the kingdom is to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel is to preach the kingdom. We preach the kingdom whenever we talk about God's reign over all of life and over the human heart. And we talk about God's sovereignty over our nation and all the nations of the world. We talk about God's sovereignty over our individual lives and the circumstances that come into it. God is our maker, our creator. We were made for a purpose, to know Him and to make Him known. We have been given dignity and worth because we are made in the image of God. And so is every person that you and I meet. And God is calling us to turn from our sins, to turn back to Him, to lay down those idols, to destroy them, to put them away, and to put our trust in Him. And when we preach the gospel, we are preaching the kingdom. And every time another person comes to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, the kingdom of God grows because His reign grows over the human heart. And I look at those white roses and I think that this week, you know, the kingdom just got a little bit bigger because of those that he called into a relationship with himself. Our ministry is a word-based ministry. It is the truth of God's word that people need to hear. Ray Ortland is the senior pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And he said, 50 years ago, my mom and dad gave me a new Bible. It was my senior year in high school. It was the first week of two-a-day football practices. How many guys remember that? That's always a difficult time. And he said, I crawled home that day bone tired. But mom had made a special dinner for me since it was my birthday, and dad gave me a Bible with the following inscription. He said, He said, but nothing could be greater than to have a son, a son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book our dearest treasure. We give it to you, and doing so, we can give you nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible, and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad. And he wrote Philippians one six You began a good work, and you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Ray Ortland said, as I read these wonderful words from 50 years ago, it never occurred to me to think that dad doesn't really believe that. It's just religious talk. I knew he meant it because I watched him live it. He was a student of the Bible. Now, his life was full of blessing, and I wanted what he had. And it took me a few more years to get clarity and to figure all of that out not surprisingly, in those years as a young adult when you are making your faith your own. But he said, but on this day, so long ago, my dad said something to me that left a deep impression. It moved me then, and it moves me now. And I was thinking about that. For Father's Day, you know, kids, you who are here, if you have a dad who loves God and loves you, you are blessed. I mean, what a tremendous example your dad will be in your life. And so much of what we will think about God as our heavenly father is really influenced by our earthly father. Sadly, sometimes for bad. But hopefully it is for good. And that God will use you as an example to show your children what it means to love God and to walk with him and that they will see the light of Christ in you. Paul would write to Timothy emphasizing the importance that our ministry is focused on the Word. And he said, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I mean, this is a solemn statement. There is no higher court that we will ever stand before than to be in the presence of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. And do it in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. His Word to that young preacher, more than anything else, you do preach the Word. And it is that Word of God that changes people's lives. It's that Word that feeds our souls, and gives us strength to continue on. Well, thirdly, gospel ministry requires gospel compassion. Jesus gave them authority, not only to preach, but also to drive out demons, to cure diseases, to heal the sick. And there is no doubt that that was a unique period in time in which now he wanted to authenticate the apostles as his messengers and also to authenticate the message that was being shared. But God continues to work through us in the church. And we may not see as many miracles in the same extent that they did in that initial period of time with the apostles, but God is still at work. And he still instructs the elders of every church to pray for the flock. And he tells us, you know, if you are sick, come. Have the elders pray for you. Anoint you with oil and pray over you in the name of the Lord. And God will heal you. And the way that he heals, it may be emotional healing. It may be giving you the grace to persevere through a trial. It may be a miraculous healing. It may be healing through medical means that we have available to us today. But God will heal. And his ultimate healing? is when he takes us home. One day we will die. But for those who know Christ, he will bring that ultimate healing and we will have that new glorified body that will be like Jesus one day. But this principle of compassion is so true. The preaching of the gospel needs to be accompanied by acts of love and service. It is our actions that give proof of God's love. We preach the gospel. We're involved in people's lives. We're doing this in the context of relationship. We're showing the love of Christ. And that's why the church and our missionary efforts throughout history have worked to bring education or medical care or clean water or food or help in times of crisis or addressing the social evils that are in our world. It's why we have worked in those areas. And it's not one or the other. It's not just preach the gospel, or just do these acts of kindness. It is both together. Pastor Jason and I were talking about this, and talking about how sometimes people forget how extensive the influence of the church has been. And sometimes our children forget or don't realize that it was Christians and it was the church who led the reforms and the development of schools, of hospitals, of mission statements to care for those who had leprosy or who suffered from diseases, who worked to bring clean water and raise the value and the rights of women and children all over the world, wherever they went. And it continues to this day. In 2007, there was an article in the press about a community, a town in southwest Nigeria that calls itself the Land of Twins. Now, why that odd name? Well, it's because in that area, uh, the majority of families in that region have at least one set of twins. And it's a phenomena that baffles the fertility experts. And they're trying to figure this out, and one possible explanation may be their diet. They eat a lot of yams, which can, um, yams contain a natural hormone that can stimulate the ovaries to produce twins. But in the context of this article that was really about, you know, the, this unique kind of feature in that area, they did share a little bit of background in history. And in pre-colonial times, the people of the region of Nigeria would often kill their twins and their mothers because the, the people believed that twins were an evil omen and that the mother must have been with two men to bear two children. And the article in the middle of it had this single sentence, a Scottish missionary is credited with ending this practice. Nothing else said about this Scottish missionary. And it went on to talk a little bit more about this fertility question. Well, if you do a little digging, you find that the name of the Scottish missionary was Mary Slessor. She lived from 1848 to 1915. And according to her biography, she was a missionary in the Calabar region in Nigeria. She traveled throughout the many villages along the Calabar River meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the people that she encountered. And she indeed found in these communities that twins were cruelly murdered and mothers were driven into the jungles because of their supposed immorality. And through proclaiming the gospel, Slesser opposed such practices and saved the lives of countless babies. It was the light of the gospel And it was her presence, her teaching there of the word of God that changed the culture in an area to where instead of killing those twins, they would embrace those twins. And this region of Nigeria is now called the land of the twins. And I think of how that work continues. And today there are Christians who are involved in trying to set people free from this whole sex trafficking that is going on. There are Christians who are working again to deal with AIDS. It was Christians who stepped into the forefront in the Ebola crisis. It is sharing the love of Christ along with the gospel that is so powerful. And fourthly, that kind of ministry, gospel ministry, bears gospel fruit. Jesus told the disciples, in this case, to take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. I want you to travel light. I mean, really travel light. They were to go out and they were to go from village to village and if somebody welcomed them into their home, they were to stay there and not hop from home to home, but just stay there and receive their welcome. He's teaching them this principle that will show up later that the worker is worthy of his wages and that these who engage in Full time ministry should be compensated for that by those that they are ministering with. And so here you have these disciples going out and they are learning about this and they are learning to trust on God, even for what they're going to say. You know, Jesus is like, don't worry about that. You know, God will tell you what you are to say at that time. But later in the gospel, those instructions will change. At the Last Supper in Luke 22, He will say to the disciples as He's commissioning them and telling them what they're going to be doing and taking them out to the world, He said, now, He who has a purse, take that purse with you. If you got a bag, a knapsack for your back kind of thing, or a backpack, you know, take that with you. It is different. It's kind of the difference between what you might say short-term versus career or long-term. you know. But there is this principle that will come through that those who engage in the gospel need to be dependent upon the Lord in all things. He wanted them to depend upon God for their daily bread and for what they would say. Now, what we read in this account, though, is also this interesting response from Herod the Tetrarch. Something's happening in the region of Galilee. And Herod the Tetrarch, and what that means is this was the son of Herod the Great, and he ruled over one-fourth of Herod the Great's kingdom. So he rules over Galilee. And he had heard something was going on here, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John, John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead. Others said Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back. But Herod said, I beheaded John. I mean, it can't be John. So who is this who I hear such things about. And now it's taken another step. Now it's just not Jesus in one place, but now it's the 12 who have been sent out two by two that are going through these villages doing the same thing. And people are getting healed. The lives are being changed. They're hearing the Gospel preached and they're coming and repenting of their sins and turning to God. And Herod is wondering, who is this? And he tried to see him. Herod would not see Jesus until Jesus was arrested and brought before Pilate and then sent to see Herod. But this question stands out in Luke's Gospel. It keeps coming up over and over again. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? It is the question that every person on this planet must answer. I mean, seriously, it is the question that everyone must answer in their life. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you placed your trust in Him as your Savior and Lord and admitted your sins and confessed that and turned to Him for forgiveness that He alone can give? Or is He just a man to you? Is He just a moral teacher or religious teacher or something like that, but no more? The way that you answer that question is the difference between heaven and hell. Gospel ministry is so important. And it is so important that we continue what has been handed on to us. Gospel ministry includes these four aspects. Gospel power. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Nothing of lasting spiritual value. Gospel preaching. It is God's Word that has the power to change lives. It is God's truth that people need to hear. Gospel compassion. To love others as Christ loves us. To love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are instructions from Jesus that He gives us that accompany the preaching of the Word and gospel fruit. When we do ministry His way, God is glorified, and many will come to know Christ just as we have seen. The training of the twelve would continue for two more years until Jesus' death and resurrection, but the training of leaders, the making of disciples in the church, it continues today. Will you join in that great work? Will you pray? Will you share your gifts and use them to minister to others? Will you be one who disciples and mentors this next generation? And will you pass on your faith to your own children and grandchildren? Let's pray. Father, what a great charge and an awesome privilege. And we see how Jesus went about his work of training the twelve And Father, I pray that we would do that well. And my prayer, Lord, is that we would excel in that area of making disciples, of sharing the good news of the gospel, of passing it on to the next generation so that we might always be a church where people are coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord, where people are growing in their faith and becoming mature and disciples, followers of Jesus. And where laborers are being raised up for the harvest, not only to work in our community and in our church, but literally around the world to the ends of the earth. Until that day when you return. In your name we pray, amen.